When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight we have a rare interview with Soren Dreyer. Soren is a Danish philosophical researcher who authors and compile, compiles the largely popular Zen Haven website. He's also known for his extra sensory abilities and his distinctive sounding voice that I personally feel should be heard in all upcoming movie previews. Every movie that's out there should have his voice on it. I brought Soren to your attention tonight because he's another self-made individual who found their own path and whose perception on reality seems to be wide and multidimensionally encompassing. A few years ago, I got a reading from Soren. He just took a picture of my wrist and started uh, revealing there. And from there, he was, the information he was talking about was amazing. I just thought it was absolutely amazing. And he was talking about past lives that other people had already previously uh, mentioned to me. So... I think he's an amazing guy. He's got a lot of great insight. And without further ado, here is Chapter 47, Mr. Soren Dreyer. Our special guest today is a spiritual intuitive. His name is Soren Dreyer, and he has traveled throughout various countries and worked with some of the biggest names in metaphysics and spirituality, providing counsel for them. I'm curious about how he's doing it and the knowledge and wealth he can provide to humanity. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Mr. Soren Dreyer. Soren, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. Pleasure to be here. Soren, you were able to garner a substantial amount of information from looking at a person's wrist or looking at a picture of that. What happens when this occurs, when you stare at a person's wrist, and what information are you able to pull? Uh, what happens is that um, I have to detach and uh, not go into emotions. I have to be very neutral. And then things actually just comes to me and out of my mouth. So that's how I do it. Um, I had disabilities since I was a child. So it's sort of with fair modesty, it comes rather lightly to me. So what happens? You, you look at you look and you feel things. Is just, how, why does information just suddenly start flowing? Uh, it's an overall picture. And um, prior in my career, so to speak, I was very much into you, you know, predictions and details, and that had evolved now to sort of maybe a bigger picture of where that person is on a psychological slash spiritual level in that person's life right now, and lines drawn from the past uh, as long as you and I have imagination to comprehend and um, the sort of different paths to take uh, further on for that person and because there is not only one path there are multiple paths that a person can go by and uh, have you asked me 20 years ago you know is my future sort of determined I would have said yes um, I also say yesterday, but you can go left, right, and backwards, and it'll be perfectly okay because that's sort of in the blueprint. Uh, so I, see, I, I actually see, and that can be sometimes a problem, there's multiple solutions to a challenge right now. There's always free solutions, I found out, uh, maybe because we're living in 3D, so there's always free answers to every question that is equally valid. And... Um, 
I, I try to sort of find out not to be too, you know, destiny bound or this is written in stone, but make people make their choices on their passion and what they want for themselves. And uh, yeah. So when you are looking into a person and you're sensing their energy and this information is coming out to you and you're saying, okay, the based on this information, I am able to see or feel this is the trajectory of this person's life because what is the energy is, is, is oscillating very fast or it's very concentrated. How do you able to garner or feel or tell that a person is on a trajectory of fulfilling, um, let's say, for example, a destiny, a preordained destiny? Uh, that is if somebody is plugged into the passion or what maybe Deepak Chopra would call the Dharma. Um, that's very easy because <clears throat> then there is, you know, that's, that's really... Uh, the main road for them and uh, I strongly believe Ryan that you know when we sort of get a little down or we get too frustrated and uh, we can't see any solution we have strayed and uh, we need to get back on that road we mean strayed uh, what have we strayed from we might have strayed from that path because I don't know if I subscribe too much so much to destiny that we are destined to do one thing in this life. I've experienced in my own life and certainly in the people I had the pleasure of serving that uh, we have multiple uh, destinies, we have multiple passions. You know, I can, I can be very passionate about the different topics for a year or two and then I leave them. They are sort of explored and then my eyes stray to the horizon and, and I need new inspiration and, and that's also what I see in people. And uh, I very much like, you know, to counsel with or gives people spiritual guidance who has a creative consciousness because they're very hard to predict and uh, when you have a creative consciousness you know you, you think creatively uh, sorry creatively um, I, I don't mean you're playing an instrument or such I, I just mean that you can actually think in multiple tracks at one time and um, that makes me, I had a talk with Stuart Wilde about that and he, I think he actually wrote it, you know, some people are very hard to predict because they have this consciousness and they can basically jump in the ocean where they're supposed to live in a tent in the Sahara. Um, they'll be equally fine because they come up with the solutions to that. And I did a post on it once where I wrote, um, we have this issue of karma, you know, but Karma is also a chain around our feet sometimes, and um, I think I made the argument that the universe doesn't care if you work in uh, in on the beach as a lifeguard, or you are in a submarine, or you're a fisherman, as long as you're near the water, and that is karma, you know. So the universe doesn't do that micromanaging; it it sort of supports you in uh, whatever you 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 decide to set out on and um, even when we stray it supports you because it it provides obstacles which we don't think of as a support but actually are so we get back on that track that we sort of forgot or strayed from and uh, that's perfectly all right when you are analyzing an individual and you're yeah. seeing this energy you're translating the visual images of this energy what makes you be completely certain that you know that we do have reincarnation? And in your experience, do you find that um, there's a average amount of lifetimes a person will live on Earth, or is it vary from uh, person to person? I think it varies, and um, and I was actually a very, very synchronistic question, Ryan, because I was sort of reflecting on it last night, where I thought, well. You know, we're here on this planet maybe for one heartbeat and we actually spend much more time in the celestial spheres or the Aluna or the Morph or whatever we, we like to call it. Um, but yeah, I, it's my firm belief that we pick up these uh, experiences from lifetime to lifetime and suddenly, you know, we, we come to a point in this snowstorm of lives where we are where this life is one flake and um, it sort of collects and gathers and 
maybe reach a climax and we burn off a lot of karma you know people who especially people you know who have a lot of trouble they have a lot of trouble in their life they're very troublesome they don't feel they belong and suddenly they plug in and they actually burn off a lot of karma and um, I, I, I started noticing that in 2008 I, I thought I think <clears throat> and um, so there are people here, you know, which I would like to write about. I call them the karma burners, um, who really, seen from the outside, have a really troublesome life. And uh, but suddenly they find the core, they they reattach to the universe, and um, they make a huge, huge impact. And uh, <clears throat> I also discovered they have an age for that. They usually do it around 31 or 38. And uh, whether they, they we, we, what they decide to, to replug back into the, the spiritual um, or the source. Yeah, but it also seemed that you know life up until then has been sort of. Many of them explained to me that they feel disengaged. They can't find their passion, and you know maybe they reach a critical mass, or maybe it's a um, question of spiritual age, which I. I'm very much inclined to believe. Um, 31 to 33, I think, was uh, the, the age that you, Jesus died. It, it's, it's a magical number, you know, and, and people transcend there. And uh, they transcend into their destiny, and, and they're so joyful when they do that. And I, I really love to be a part of that. You, you, I think you brought up an interesting point about, uh, you call them the karma burners. There are people who are coming in here that are struggling, that are um, experiencing, let's say, pains or discomforts of life. And uh, thinking about this or putting this in perspective, they could be there or here at this point to process karma or to evolve their spirit. Now, I ask you this, Arne. What is the difference between somebody who's coming in here to burning up karma as to somebody who's coming in here that is deliberately um, – putting themselves through anguish as a means of projecting their own insecurities or projecting their own punishment upon themselves. Um, they, I mean, is there, is there a comparable difference between working through karma and self-imposed punishment? And if self-imposed punishment, is that something that is just um, ongoing? Is that something that actually resolves any karma? It could be, and I think there's multiple answers, Ryan, right? not that I want to get unnecessarily complicated, but... You know, people who do that, they don't. I, I, I see one danger, and I have met a lot of them also, and I'm not criticizing them, but they need to take responsibility. And um, we have this, you know, and that's somehow the trouble with the New Age way of thinking, you know, the mainstream New Age way of thinking. Everything is okay in this moment, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, maybe it is, you know, but if people are suffering, and uh, they don't want to take responsibility for their insight. That could be into the matrix, into uh, the spirituality, into the new dignity, into treating people all right, into going out, going out in this world and making an impact. Um, they use this as a spiritual excuse for not getting the thing out of their butt, sort of speaking plain English. And... Um, they they really need a push, you know, and and they need a lot of love, and they need uh, they need reassurance that you are good enough, you are here for a reason, you know, and don't sit there in the sofa and watch too much Netflix; it'll drive you insane. And when when they get that uh, wake up call, they actually respond. They actually respond and say, "Whoa, cool! I have so many people, um, Ryan, at the age between 25 and 35." Who feel like you know they're not on the train? They they are just on a standstill. They couldn't attach in school, which I think is a really cool thing. They couldn't attach in college, or college, or, or they simply didn't go. Or and um, they don't have that many friends. They don't have that many romances. They just feel like they are on an alien planet, so and maybe th there are. Is that somebody? Maybe there are. So what is that? Does that mean somebody who's just what that I can? truly connected like what's the comparable difference between the is that a is that a characteristic of somebody who what who uh, is coming here maybe not putting their full force or full energy into this life uh, this physical life or is that somebody who is maybe just a little bit curious maybe is ready to evolve beyond the physical or seeking something new yeah but but it's a bit tricky ryan because we also have people like you described before you know who have a lot of anguish who 
actually surface, I mean, uh, on a clinical depression. And, and then that's not what I'm talking about, you know, that's maybe the way society is constructed, you know, what we like to refer to as the matrix. It can bring a good man down. And um, so, so there are different approaches because, but the danger I see is that if, you know, humbleness um, is a really good thing, but it can also be used as a spiritual excuse for not wanting to make an impact on, on in in this world, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I see that humbleness, you know, I see it as a really good thing. I try to embed that in my life every day. But using it as an excuse for sort of taking the main stage or getting out there or making an impact, um, that's really a virus. And I think a lot of it has to do with excuse me for saying this, the dodgy new age, blah, 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 in the 80s, you know, uh, where, yeah, you, you know where I'm Yeah, yeah, going. absolutely. No, well, I wanna, you know, I want to just uh, shift a little focus on the, um, to talk about the, what, what the morph is, because, uh, you know, our, our mutual beloved friend, Stuart Wilde, used to talk about the morph, and uh, I'd like yeah. to know if you can please explain what that is. And also, is the morph the same thing as the Luna? And to update the listeners that are out there, um, our beloved friend Stuart, who we did a tribute on, used to talk about the Luna. He said that that's where your spirit was resided in while you had a physical body. So, like when you had passed, your your spirit would go right to the to the Luna, and the Luna apparently was what some parallel type universe yeah. that resided next to us. What is the difference uh, between the morph and the Luna? Can you please describe uh, what both of them are and further details, Ryan? Yeah, I'm very grateful to Stuart, uh, as you said. Um, <clears throat> the beloved friend. And Stuart really could do something I can't. He sort of mapped it out. Uh, I don't have that sort of, and don't get me wrong, I don't have that sort of scientific approach to it. Um, but because I basically see it as, as the same thing uh, being embedded in the void. Uh, <clears throat> but I will say the Aluna is sort of a mirror version of our lives here. And there is a layer that both penetrate the the Aluna, and that layer is the morph. But the morph is also a unique uh, entity, a unique field um, that you can go in and out of. Um, so there are boundaries, yes, but but I see them also very connected. So what is this? The, what is the, um, the the Luna like? Most do you see like the morph and the Luna is kind of like one and the same? No, I wouldn't say they were one of the same. But what, what is I, the I, what is the morph? I mean, if you were to, if you were to describe somebody who's never who doesn't know anything about the morph, you were to say like, listen, give me an idea. What is this morph, and how do you, how do you get there? How would you describe it? The morph is sort of, I haven't gone there myself, but I would say it's highly psychedelic. And um, <clears throat> I, it has evolved for me also uh, thanks to Stuart uh, because he put some words on some things that I thought, whoa, this actually we are just doing. Um, and that's why I'm very grateful to him because as I said, he mapped it out. Um, but going into the morph, I can give you an example. I uh, went in uh, on a beach in northern Europe, and uh, it was the 1st of May 2012. It made a huge, huge impact on me. And I was used to that walk. It was sort of a, a dirt back road by, by the beach. And I turned the corner, and it was the 1st of May, and, no, and very good weather. And as you know, 1st of May is uh, maybe a half, you, you maybe know, but it's a half holiday in 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 uh, Scandinavia, but there were no people there. And suddenly I froze and uh, I thought, whoa, I, I had no control over my body. It just, you know, like a statue. And I thought, whoa, the sun's in the wrong place. It doesn't used to be there. And then I heard this sound. It, it's the most powerful impact I have had on the morph or from the morph. And it sort of went boom, 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 boom. And uh, <clears throat> then I heard a voice uh, talking to me. And uh, normally I don't hear voices. And uh, it said, uh, pretty good, Sharon, pretty good. You can go back now. And uh, then I turned around and went down the main street in, in that city. And uh, suddenly people were divided in two. There were, some of them actually looked like, you know, they were greys. The, Stuart would have said ghoulish. 
And uh, especially one episode, you know, it, it also triggered a great deal of fear in me for oh, now I have gone completely bonkers. But I saw this cute dog and I wanted to pet it. But and I could see the line that from the owner, but I couldn't see the owner. And um, <clears throat> then I noticed that some people around me were in uh, Technicolor and some were gray. Then I got up to my apartment and the walls went vroom. And uh, I called my son, and the moment I called him, I was pulled back. Um, I was physically pulled back. And um, I was standing on a desolate field looking over a desolate, crumbled city. And I thought, whoa, that's the Matrix. And um, yeah, I had to. Yeah, but I, I, I had to lay down on the floor and actually wept my, my eyes out. And um, it lasted for three or four days, that impact. But since that day, I have, in all modesty, been able just to go into the morgue without further ado, uh, without uh, any kind of drugs. So uh, what would you say? It, how, anyone, how can it, uh, the average person go into there as well? And what are some of the keys you feel to, to go into this place? And now when you go into the morgue, are you able to pull uh, various knowledge and information about, um, let's say, for example, things that are going to manifest into our physical reality? Yeah, but the problem with the morph is the time frame, as I have explained in, in some of my readings. I did a, a post the other day called Tales from the Morph, and that was actually a transmission in, in the morph. That's, that was visions I had in the morph. I just uh, played a little with the context in the post, right, where I saw this, you know, yeah, almost like Stuart said, end of days and the critical mass and horsemen at the gates. There were everything in that. It was sort of maybe briefly a psychotic moment with overload of information. And I thought, well, should I get this out or shouldn't I get it out? And I decided to write it in, in sort of a, a, a poetic form and not putting it as a vision. But it but it is a vision. When I post uh, a headline called Tales from the Morph, it actually is a vision. And uh, but again, pinpointing time is very strange because being in the morph feels like ten seconds, and when you come back, you can actually see on your watch that three hours pass by. Uh, and I never asked Stuart about that because I see him as as the pioneer in the morph. Uh, but but I did a post where I mentioned uh, also Stuart doubts when we wrote. You know, we wrote about visions, and Stuart had his doubts about the time frame, and so had I. And that was very cool because, you know, we were, we sort of had the same doubt about time. And um, I set out, I have set out sort of to debunk the time now. So I'm trying to understand it because obviously here in, in our lives in 3D, we need time. Some say we need watches. We have time. Mm -hmm. Time is not an issue in the morph. There is no time. So it's very hard to see. I had another vision which I wrote about. I think I called it the morph and the B-52 bomber. Um, and normally I would put, I saw this B-52, uh, customized B-52 with all high tech in it. And um, But when I had written the post, I thought B-52, I actually World War II in my time frame, in my logic. So was it sort of going back in time or was it going uh, forward in time but then I, I sort of thought well they had all these high tech uh, things in their cockpit so it's it's a B-52 yes in uh, the future wow and when you are when you have gone there um, sorry let me just ask let me refer the question you said that time does not exist in the morph Yet sometimes you're able to see certain things that are occurring, like uh, some world events that are out there. So I'm curious yeah, to see what have you um, have you. I mean, when you can anyone kind of go in there, uh, anyone who can see perceive the world, will everyone almost perceive the same type of things that they're dominating um, characteristics and qualities of the more that people can see in terms of events? And what events or um, things have you seen, let's say, brewing in the morph that you say could likely could play out in this life, in this in there in our lifetime. I would say the fall of the tyrants, the fall of the control system, the fall of the matrix. It's very, very uh, dominant in the morph. What do you mean, and fall of all the uh, the tyrants? 
I mean the falling of the control system, the politicians, the the matrix. Okay. You know? Why do you? Um, I'm curious why you, why you're able to see this visually very strong because you know we've talked about this a lot in the show, um, so, you know, and I think one of our last interviews or a couple ones beforehand, we basically saw a collective humanity that didn't seem to to want to have that or didn't seem to be pushing for it. They were very happy in their little matrix pod. They're very happy with their TVs and their technologies, and I don't know. I mean, don't you need some kind of um, you know? consensus among collective humanity that would want to embrace this or desire a, uh, a life without the control? How do you see this playing out? I see it playing out um, because that is always also the status quo here, as you mentioned, you know. Um, we have people who go about their daily lives and do not engage in spirituality, do not engage in sort of they live in their little world, and that's fine. It's a, it's what I call <laughs> a quiet incarnation. You know, they're not karma burners. They are here to, you, to maybe you talking about yeah, the, but the controllers. No, no, the people you're talking about. Okay, uh, and um, but but I think Ryan, if I haven't really thought about that, but you know, it's always a minority that actually pushes things, and because we cannot, and actually, you touch upon a, a core thing, which is very much on my mind. We have this wake-up movement, and we have, you know, <clears throat> yeah, what have we not? But actually, and and I wrote about it the other day. I wrote about you know the aware souls of this planet. Um, or I called it, uh, I said, if we think this is the age of enlightenment, we're so wrong. Because if we look at all the souls roaming this planet, you know, we must see that this movement that we're speaking about is actually within a confined frame of people who have internet access, who has access to information, and frankly, that's a very small percentage. But I think it has always been so through time, Ryan, that, you know, a few people, they push, they push the wall and it crumbles. And uh, I would suspect that the people you were referring to would sort of, you know, open their eyes and say, what is there a world out there, you know? And it's like talking to people, you know, people who have been working at the same workspace for 40 years, I have nothing absolutely against that. And you ask them, where do you go on vacation? Oh, we go to Corfu every year, the same hotel. Oh, have you ever tried maybe Crete? You know, I know it's very provocative, but have you tried Crete? And they go, whoa, yeah, Crete was cool, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's, but I also, underst I also understand why people do that, because if you are plugged into the mainstream information, you know, and uh, it's a scary world. It's a very scary world. And if you don't have the spiritual tools to in your mind, uh, or they are dormant and need and needs to be uh, awakened. But if you don't have the tools, sort of, to do your kung fu on that and say, well. Maybe the media is trying to scare the living daylight out of me, but I really don't care, you know, because it's, it's propaganda. They want people afraid. And when people are afraid, you know, they dig in, they go into the caves and they hide. And um, so I also see it as a matrix mechanic that, you know, if you go out there in the world, you're in danger. Um, that's actually what people are being brainwashed with. And um, so I understand people. They, they, they don't. They stay in their little confined space, and to me, it's perfectly. I'm, I, I, I never ever liked the expression "sheeple." I think it's degrading, uh, because every soul <clears throat> would need to prevail, would need to go further, would need to change their outlook. You know. So I, sorry, I strayed. But to to answer your question, I would say, yeah, maybe we are. 250,000 people, maybe a million, who wants this system down, and uh, so we have to do it. And people will, we can hope that people would would like what they see. Okay. Now you said this is not the age of enlightenment. What is this the age of? 
Do you feel the fear. age of fear? This, fear. This, this is the age of fear? Yeah, this is the age of fear. Are we, yes. we going to be out of the age of fear anytime soon? Are we gonna, you think the world's going to get into a greater thing of fear? And when you say when you, when you see the, the, the tyrants fall and all this stuff, I mean, you said time's unpredictable, but you think we're probably a long ways away from seeing that manifest collectively? If you want to ditch it from the morph, it says uh, 2025. 20, we out of this. We out of this. Oh, so 25 years, kind of? Uh, like ballpark, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So in another 25 years, we may be out of it. So for the next 20, 20... No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. I said 2025. Oh, okay. That's still, yeah. that's at least 10 more years of the, of the dark. You think that the... um the fear and the tyranny is going to continue to escalate and that we're going to actually get into kind of like a, you know, an Orwellian state on a global type scale. Yeah. But you just see, you know, they keep adding to the fear. They came up with that construction called ISIS, yeah. you know, where the hell did they come from? And, uh, <clears throat> they suddenly appeared in the middle East with a flash drive with $2 billion of funding, very convenient, but you know, we are being we are being surveilled all the time, you know. And I would say that Iraq, Iran, uh, where wherever they came from, and they're one of the most surveillance area in the whole world. And nobody picked this up. Are you kidding me? And uh, yesterday I wrote in a newspaper: ISIS is well embedded in um, Palestine. Okay, cool argument for the Israelis to keep on hammering those um, people. Yeah, it's so degrading, you know, and, and uh, they keep adding fear, 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 fear. And as long as people are afraid, they actually don't want change. And that's a nasty psychological mechanic. Is there some way that people actually, like, say, like, we're tired of being afraid? Kind of like, you know, if you if you burn off, if you put your car on a certain gear for so long and you keep on pushing your pedal, doesn't it eventually burn out? I mean, is it, do you think it's actually possible for humanity as a collective species to burn out on the fear? I mean, you've been, after we've been putting in this for so long in so many different ways, I mean, could we theoretically just experience everything there is to know about being put in collective fear and said, listen, we're done. We're done experiencing fear in the physical body. We're onto something new. Like, we're, we're just tired of it. It's just, it no longer serves. There's nothing more to evolve in that. No, but but there there is a, a twist to that, Ryan, because some people that are very afraid actually don't know they are afraid, and uh, that's called you know that's introduction to the subconsciousness, and that's what the media does all the time, and then we actually have people, and we can read it, we can read it in the digits that come out of especially USA and England, you know, how many million people who are on tranquilizers for. Um, mitigation you know never ever never ever have we seen anything like it and um, so they say I'm afraid I'll go to the doctor but but the majority of people are actually living in fear without knowing it and that is a really really nasty trick that is pulled on those people because you have to get the fear up from the subconscious level to the conscious before you can work it and um, yeah, it's it's really a trap. It's the Stockholm syndrome uh, being being played out on a global scale. Do you find do you find that it is a difficult challenge for not just you but for anyone who taps into spirit, who taps into the more, who taps into the Luna to accurately pinpoint and predict when a particular event will happen? Do you feel that the destiny of collective humanity is constantly shifting? Yeah, that's one explanation. There is another, and that is when, you know, if I give a reading to a person, I always say plus minus three months, uh, because that's not morphing, that's intuition, right? But when we go into the morph, where sort of the laws of nature we have here are a bit bended, um, it it's hard. But I think there are keys in the morph, and um, I, as I said, I have set out to look for them, to sort of get get a take on this time frame because it's me, it's sort of my consciousness going into a much higher consciousness which the morph represents. The morph is projected from somewhere, 
the core of the universe or the God force or whatever we would like to call it. But so I tried to look for buildings. I tried to look for watches. I tried to look for is it snowing? Is it sun? You know, to get sort of little hints about when is this event occurring. And um, yeah, and it it also has to do with very much with the thing you're saying, Ryan, that that uh, things are on so many frequency levels they sometimes interfere. And uh, I don't think when we go, if we talk about the morph and visions in the morph, uh, there's not only one agenda to one question. We can we can theoretically here ask ourselves the question, when will the Israelis stop uh, beating up uh, the Palestinians? And uh, go into the morph and say, well, it'll take three weeks, which is probably will. Uh, but, you know, there can be other agendas that we don't know of uh, because it is a collective consciousness. When when they are shooting uh, Palestinian teenagers on the beach, for Christ's sake, you know, it's not just a matter of Israel and Palestine. It's a matter of the whole well-being of the planet. And uh, like like the famous line from the movie The Gladiator, what you do in this life echoes through eternity, right? So every time they, they shoot a bullet and they drop a bomb, you know, it echoes through eternity and it, it blends with the collective karma of Gaia. And so there are these wheels, you know, who are very much tied in that needs to be in sync. And so I don't see it at sort of distorted frequencies that just see it as, you know, yeah, it's fragments of a much bigger intelligence slash uh, reality. Uh, so we might say that if we stray to that, oh, sorry, if if I keep to that specific thing that's going on right now when we're speaking, that, that these are the Israelis and the Palestinian. Yeah, is it? No, it's also the US and the West, again, beating up the Arab, Arab world, right? Why don't we leave them alone, you know? Uh, and I'm curious, do you feel that the uh, current uh, wars that are going on in the world are a, um, is, do you feel that they could potentially be um, a result of the times now balancing karma, balancing energies from previous experiences? I mean, do you feel that collectively that uh, the West today, which has appeared to be beating up on other nations, could have been um, people or souls from oppressed nations, from other life incarnations that are coming here to maybe settle the debts? Or is this something that you actually see as being, um, a, being a new debt created where those nations that are currently being oppressed will one day have to balance the scales with us? Very interesting question, because uh, when we speak about karma, you, you, you use that word, Ryan, right? Yeah. We often, we often speak of what we are doing now. Um, sorry, what we did in the past, right? But we also have to understand karma is also what we're doing now. So, And that is why, you know, the phrase, what we do in this life echoes in eternity actually has its validation. Because if I go out and kill a squirrel on my lot, you know, it'll, it'll impact me in the next life. So something is also very important there in order to understand that karma isn't always the, the rear view window. It's actually also what you're looking at. Um, when you look for, um, right out your car, right? But I don't like, you know, as we spoke about in the beginning, that we put everything in the karma drawer um, because uh, it can also be a spiritual excuse for, you know, bystanding and say, well, the Palestinians and the Israelis sure have a drama karma going on there, so I better stay out of it. No, 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 no. Put your fingers in it, you know. Impact the situation. And well, how can um, someone impact the situation where they really they're, they're completely out of it? I mean, yeah, they they're they're dis they're removed maybe by greater distance or by um, you know lack of interest. It's kind of like maybe people want to focus on their own life and on evolution, and and they just see that that conflict while. You know, it, what appears to be destructive and horrible as something that needs to play out. I mean, you yeah, but I, I don't know, Ryan, uh, but because I would like to challenge that. Um, I heard a wonderful story once, and 
I don't remember who it was telling it. I think maybe it was uh, Deepak. Um, he, he asked uh, a question, you know. He said, well, you're going down the street and you're seeing this uh, child playing at, at the pavement and you see there's a stone from the roof coming down. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk on by and think, well, that's the universe talking. Are you catching the stone? Right. And that's actually very valid, you know. That's very valid. Uh, because it's so hard to determine, and I see all these psychics going, let's come, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, how do they know exactly, you know? And and um, you've got to be really, really sharp, um, intuitive, to look into uh, people's karma pool, so to speak. And uh, I have seen so many frauds upon that, you know, and um, I actually stopped doing, when I, when I did the palmistry, or, or do palmistry, I have stopped talking about past lives because I need to be absolutely certain that I'm right on track or I'll just tell people a pretty story. And <laughs> I think, yeah, but, but you know, it's so easy. It's so easy if you don't, um, if you don't have sort of a sorting system for yourself and said, well, this vision gives me a shiver down the spine. And that's actually, to me, uh, real. Okay, I know I'm on track. If I don't get a, a physical reaction to what I can see from people's past lives, that could be people co collectively or individually, I, I simply stay out of it because I don't know if it's true. And um, I, I, I like that, you know, because working as an intuitive or psychic or some people would say, you know, uh, we're not sure all the time. We do our best, but, you know, there is a, a, a margin for error because you're in such complicated patterns and uh, it, it can be very hard to predict um, uh, if a person turns left or right in 2017. So let's talk again in 2017. Um, <laughs> Zora Dreyer, it was a phenomenal interview and I want to know to, if more people want to go to learn about who you are I'd like them to go to your website I'll spell that for you it's S-O-R-E-N-D-R-E-I-E-R dot -E -E com thank you so much Sard for being with us today thank you for inviting me Ryan joining us now is worldly respected psychic medium and empath Miss Lisa Kaza you learn more about Miss Kaza by going to her website at Lisa Kaza C-A-C-A dot com Miss Kaza what can you tell us about Mr. Soren Dreyer? I like Soren's energy. And to be quite honest, that for some reason, I don't know why, but I feel like I've known him before. So, uh, like personally, I, I don't know where, but I just feel that I know him. He's very familiar energy to me. Uh. And when, I can't get past that. And then what I also can't get past is that he reminds me a lot of Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's how I picture him. Like I, I don't see any pictures of him or anything like that. But his energy, it, when I listen to him speak and I feel his energy, I get the image of Gandalf. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, I even see him dressed the same way. And I think what Spirit was trying to show me is that he actually has, like, if people have watched Lord of the Rings, and of course many have, Soren has the exact same energy as Gandalf did in the movies. Okay, and for people who are not... Exact same personality, Wait, character. What about people who are not familiar with Lord of the Rings? What, what kind of energy does Gandalf have? Um, he, well, he, a very wise, extremely wise, extremely old soul, full of magic. Um, he's also very humble, honest, and loving, and you can trust him with your life. Um, another thing is that, uh, I just lost my train of thought, Ryan. Okay. Hold on a second. What we do is that on post-production, I'll put Jeopardy music on. Do -do -do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. He takes work, his work very seriously, but he does know when to play. So it, it, the vision that I have in my mind, here I am, I'm looking at Soren slash Gandalf, and I make a joke, and the thing is, it's okay to joke, 
but you just got to pick your timing carefully because if he's in the mood, if he's in the business mood, it's more like, hmm, I, I don't like. And that. what about that? <laughs> and what about <laughs> yeah. what about past lives? Have you seen? Do you know what his previous life was before he came to this one? Um, yes, uh, I would, well, the one that I, I was only shown one, and it's the most prominent one, and I see him as being a Druid priest of the old religion in a past life, and I see a lot of, a, a very strong connection to Stonehenge. Okay. I see him actually being there, practicing there as a Druid priest. And that's all of the knowledge that he had back then is seeping into this one very strongly. And so, like that's that's the 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 only past life I was shown. But the other information that I do have is that I don't know if he knows this or not. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't want other people knowing it. But I'm going to be a big blabbermouth. Right. I'm going to tell you that he actually holds a lot of knowledge about um, other world mysteries. So he knows about Stonehenge. He knows things about Stonehenge that other people don't. However, there's also things like Easter Island. I was shown Easter Island, uh, the pyramids, the Sphinx, Atlantis. Um, and there's something, this, is, this one's very specific. Um, there's apparently, I'm going to have to look it up, underwater ruins off the coast of Japan by Okinawa. Okay. So all these ancient mysteries of the earth, he holds knowledge about. Well, you're talking and about in the subconscious or his waking conscious? I'm not sure. I'm going to say maybe it's a mixture of both. Like I said, I'm not sure if he knows that he has this knowledge or not. Or if he does know, maybe he doesn't want other people knowing. You should put him under hypnosis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get Mr. Switzerland on. <laughs> oh, and also, um, you said that you were having a hard time finding pictures of Soren, and I can tell you this, that you can easily find a picture of Soren Dreyer by looking up, going to Google and typing in Tom Cruise's long lost brother, and like you'll find 100 pictures of Soren. He looks just like Tom Cruise. Oh, really? <laughs> maybe. Well, to me, he looks like Gandalf. Maybe a few years. Yeah, a few years. Maybe a couple years. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a, a very, a very nice um, nickname for Soren. Uh, I keep hearing the words over and over and over. He's the mystery keeper. The mystery keeper. The mystery keeper, and it ha you know it ties into what I just said about him having all of this ancient knowledge about all of the world's greatest mysteries. Oh. You know whether Stonehenge or Easter Island, but that's what he he's the mystery keeper. Um, the other last final message I have, and this is going with the Gandalf personality too, is that I have this really strong sense that he tends to take care of other people a heck of a lot more than what he takes care of himself. He puts everyone else first. And as a result, I do feel him to go, grow rather weary at times. So he he needs to remember to take time out for himself too. Okay. I, I don't see him as taking time out for himself. If he doesn't do that, then he, you know he's just going to keep wearing himself down all the time. And uh, the the old stag totem animal that I'm seeing standing beside him, I feel is trying to to teach him that lesson of this lifetime. He needs to even it's it's wonderful to help others in need as much as possible, but at the same time, you have to always take care of yourself, too. Okay. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate the insight. That was really great, and thank you for being so in-depth. And to learn more about Ms. Kaza, please go to her website at Lisa, L-I-S-A, Kaza, C-A-Z-A dot com. Thank you so much, Ms. Lisa. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, joining us now for another perspective on the life of Mr. Soren Dreyer, his globally respected psychic medium, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, you can learn more about Ms. O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Ms. O'Connor, what insights can you reveal to us about the life of Mr. Dreyer? Mr. Dreyer is very interesting. I loved his perspective about talking about the morph, how he sees things. He sees things a little bit differently. I love that he does it through the palms. And what really fascinated me, Ryan, is 
his view on the future, when a lot of the psychics talk about the future, and even his view on past lives, you know? I thought that he had an interesting point of view that a lot of times people want to know stuff about the future, and he, I thought he gave a good description on how the future sometimes isn't that easy to pinpoint. You're looking at all different perspectives, you're looking at all different dimensions, all different influences, so things can change really quickly, and some people don't understand it, and I thought he said it very fluently and very easily. And then his whole past life thing, I thought it was very interesting too, because I've seen and worked with many people that they get really hung up on past lives, and my theme is when I go into past lives, I take what the theme is, what they're learning for lifetimes and lifetimes instead of getting stuck on individual lives. So I thought he was very fascinating. I thought he gave a different perspective on how to view life. And do you see any particular um, guides or spirits that could be uh, guiding him in this uh, life? Or is he somebody who has – does he have different uh, spirits for previous lives? I, when you just said that, and then I know it's a frequent question that you asked, yeah. I just saw Moses coming in with him really strong. And that was interesting. When I was listening to him yesterday, I didn't really see that. So he's got definitely is connected to the Moses energy. And I just saw the energy of Moses going across the desert. So a lot of his energy has to do with going through dry places, dark places, or giving people water or, or nutri nutrients that they're looking for. So the guides that he's with are, are teachers and helpers. They're, they're healer kind of people that help people take a language that could be really um, complicated and makes it very easy. He has teachers that their names aren't even known, Ryan. They're like, when I see um, energy patterns, they're like, they're, they don't get into the personal names. They get into like a color pattern and a frequency that's very, very high. So that would be connected with, you could say, the Buddhic consciousness. And um, he has uh, expressed a lot of respect and reverence for Stuart Wilder. I was just curious yeah. if you've ever seen him having or sharing a past life experience with Stuart. Yes, they definitely have been. I saw, first saw them as brothers, but then Stuart just came in right now and had them as sisters. And Ryan, you're going to get a kick out of them. I see them as sisters, as showgirls, and had a really good time in a past life. Oh. Where, um, <laughs> just, just, you can imagine Stuart. And wouldn't you know, he'd come right in. And I saw, see this beautiful metaphysical thing. And he goes, how about this one, Carrie? <laughs> and, um, so they were both, let's say, actors and had a really good time with um, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's really great. Was that, uh, was that something that was recent? Was that? Uh... I'd say back in 1700s. Okay. Yep, over in Europe. Not bad, not too long ago. Differently. Ms. Carrie O'Connor, thank you so much for that great analysis. And to learn more about Ms. Carrie O'Connor, please go to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you, Ryan, as always. Uh, joining us now for another perspective on the life of Soren Dreyer is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Laura Lynn. And we can learn more about Miss Laura Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Lynn, what can you tell us about Mr. Dreyer? First of all, I was so captivated by that interview, Ryan. I am going to listen to it again. I'm excited to listen. He is just a brilliant conscious thinker that really grabbed my heart. I'm, I'm re really thoroughly enjoyed it listening to him. And when I was hearing him, I was feeling like, wow, he's you know almost poetic the way he he talks, the way he brings his message. And then I was closing my eye and going within just listening to him and I got the word or the name rather Atar or Atar and I had to look that up because anything that I'm picking up is through signals or names it's going to be a clue so I looked up Atar and I found that he was a Sumi he was a wonderful uh, poet that was also a sage and he lived in the uh, year around 1100. Amazing man. And I, I enjoyed doing a little research on him, but I came across this poem that I think Saran, Saran, yes. Saran, is that Saran. how you yep. pronounce yep. his name? Saran is going to enjoy, and I feel like it's going to bring him home. And the, the poem I, ca I caught here or captured is, and his... And as his essence, all the world pervades, not in creation is, save this alone. Upon the waters has he fixed his throne, this earth suspended in the starry space. Yet what are the seas? What is air? For all is God. And I feel that he is living through the essence of that poet. And I also believe that he was a very wise man in Ecuador 
where he was known as the middle world healer. Middle world healer. And I'm not the people of the Ecuador region. He walked the lands and he was a healer and he brought that information to the person that was being healed through what I was hearing, the star people, the star children. He brought an ancient truth. So he is a very old wise man. And I did not pick up any feminine essence as far as past lives. I picked up very many masculine uh, bodies within him. And he has just brought a beautiful way to bring a humble secret that, or a humble life of healing in his steps and his work. I, I was, I'm really, really impressed by him and glad to have found him now. I think he's, I think he's got a voice that can narrate Hollywood films. That he thinks of. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought I was like, yep. he's got a really intriguing voice mm-hmm. telling story. I, Ms. Laura Lynn, thank you so much for your insight. I'm Mr. Soren Dreyer. And to learn more about Ms. Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, Ryan. It was a pleasure. What do the stars hold for Soren Dreyer? Joining us now is our astro phenom, our astrologer, Ms. Constance Stellis. We can learn more about Ms. Stellis by going to her website at constancestellis.com. Ms. Stellis, what can you tell us about Mr. Dreyer? Well, we have, again, a Libra sun and Libra moon personality, uh, just like George Ceres, whom we just discussed. And similarly, we also have a Scorpio rising. So (laughs) these two guys should be friends in some way, but I don't think they know each other. Um, Mr. Dreyer's chart is very focused on um, career, but career in terms of spreading the word, so to speak. Uh, he is quite an international person, even if he doesn't travel a lot, but he, he has a wide scope of interests that uh, I think allows him to, to fit in any place uh, he wants to, to be. I mean, uh, I don't know if he's lived other places, but um, his travels are very, very productive. He's also what I call an outer planet person. So in astrology, we have the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, and Mars that are all our our personal planets. Then we have Jupiter and Saturn, which are kind of the, the, the link between our personality and the bigger picture. And then we have Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, which are called outer planets. And astrologers still count Pluto as an outer, uh, as a planet, not a, I don't know, what is it, a dwarf now or something else silly like that. But the outer planet people are tuned into uh, the big picture vibrations and the repercussions of spiritual growth, um, mental physical, all sorts of growth in terms of uh, a long time, eons. And so they they don't, of course they have personalities and of course they're down here on earth and have to deal with making a living and, and uh, dealing with people and everything, but their real resonance is to uh, guide themselves and other people towards a, a larger consciousness, I guess we would say, consciousness. So um, I didn't get a chance to listen to Mr. Dreyer's interview, but he has healing ability for sure and uh, is very, very good at uh, communicating what it is he knows and wants to affect large uh, groups of, of people. Um, there's a rigidity in his personality that gives him great stick and may have caused some personal uh, difficulties um, that he's had to work through uh, this, this time around. But there's great, uh, great power here um, towards helping other people, and I believe that's his profession, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he's doing what he should do. He's doing what he's doing, and do you think that potentially this is his last time around here? Or think he's- no, 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 no. I, I think he, he, he's got um, more influence uh, in lifetimes to come. Um, and in fact, uh, probably is setting up some very interesting 
I don't mean interesting like, oh, yeah, we're going to read about it in People magazine. I mean soul-wise soul interesting scenarios and lessons for the future. And lessons don't mean bad, you know, like, uh-oh, things are going to happen to, to him. Um, because I, I think that, that there's a little bit of syncing up uh, earth experience and uh, spiritual experience uh, going on in his, in his uh, chart that uh, is quite important. The Astrophenom, Ms. Constance Stellis. Thank you so much for that great analysis. And to learn more about Ms. Stellis, please go to her website at ConstanceStellis.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Stellis. My pleasure. All right, that concludes tonight's episode of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Thank you so much for our great guests and for our unbelievable virtues. Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Constancellus. To learn more about our show, please visit our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet again, my friends, wishing upon you infinite peace, love, and beers. Have an unbelievable rest of the night, and thank you so much for joining us. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy. Without all the extra drama. I even had a gift.